First Peter chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse 17. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your, that your faith and hope might be in God. Let's pray. Father, we approach this message today understanding that we need to know who you are and what you did for us. As we approach this Christmas season, Lord, we know that it's very important that Christians have it right, that we know why this season is important to us. And I pray that you'd give us understanding today from your word that we might appreciate so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, and he was the Lamb of God. Bless the message today. Encourage our hearts as Christians and help us, Lord, to live for you like we should. And if there's one here that's not saved, may today be the day of salvation for them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are now officially in the Christmas season. Retailers have been gearing up for it for some time because they know that the commercialism of Christmas uh, will result in increased sales and very good profit for them. All the excitement and the glitter of the world's celebration of Christmas can become a distraction even to sincere Christians. So during this time of year, We must concentrate on the true meaning of Christmas to us. We must remember and emphasize the importance of the birth of Jesus Christ. The Son of God became a man so that he could die for our sins so that we could have a Savior. A proper remembrance of Christ's birth has nothing to do with the particular character that we often hear talked about at Christmas and his name is Santa Claus. In fact, he is a distraction from Jesus and not a help. He is not a meaningful part of the remembrance of the Lord's birth, not at all. It's sad, but many children know a lot about the fictional character Santa Claus and know little or nothing about Jesus Christ, God's gift to the world. So as we begin this Christmas season, I'd like for us to start by looking at some some things about Jesus as the gift of God. Jesus is God's gift. The Bible says in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. As we do, we're going to concentrate on a name for Jesus, and that name is the name Lamb. So I've entitled the message, God's Prepared Lamb. Jesus is known to us by lots of different names and titles. He's known to us as the Savior, the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, the Redeemer, the Lord, Christ, Shepherd, Nazarene, Lion of Judah, Master, and on and on. 
In my study, I have a set of books that one time, several years ago, I read all of those, and it consists of five volumes. They're written by Charles Rolls, and they're entitled, uh, different titles on those, but the subtitle is uh, Names and Titles of Jesus Christ. That book is written, those books are written solely about the names of Jesus. And it says names and titles of Jesus Christ A to Z. Four of the five books have over 200 pages. One of them has 183 pages. And uh, out of all the names that Mr. Rolls gives about Jesus, it's a very interesting study, but out of all the names... When we talk about Christmas, a very fitting name is Lamb. He's the Lamb of God. I looked at all the times in the Bible where the Lamb of God, or or the word Lamb, occurs. And there were 107 times the word Lamb appears in the Bible. All but nine of those, all but nine of those refer to Jesus. Either directly to Jesus or to the sacrificial lambs in the Old Testament which spoke of Jesus. And so lamb is a very important title of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first occurrence of the word lamb appears in Genesis 22, verse 7. So the first time in the Bible that that occurs is Genesis 22. We're going to look there several times, so take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 22. It's the account of Abraham, of course, and Uh, offering Isaac, his son, on the altar. And so Genesis chapter 22, verse 7. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And, uh, And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And so God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. The Bible Bible interpretation has a principle that people have noticed, Bible scholars have noticed as they studied the scripture, and they call it the principle of first mention. I copied this down, the the description of that, from uh, a book by Henry Morris, a Bible scholar, entitled The Genesis Flood. Yes, The Genesis Flood. And he said in that book, that the principle of first mention is that the context in which that first mention occurs sets the pattern for the primary usage and development all through the rest of the scripture. Therefore, lamb, first occurrence of that word in the Bible, is a reference to a sacrificial lamb. And that's God will provide himself a lamb. And so it has that connotation then, on the majority of times in the Bible, on a sacrificial idea. You remember John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus walking along, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is referred to as a lamb 29 times. And one of those references is in Revelation 13, verse 8. It says this, The book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, in God's mind, Jesus, it was already predicted, it was already prophesied, it was already prepared, it was already purposed in God's heart 
that this one who would come, who would be born, was going to, be, was going to die, slain before the foundation, uh, from the foundation of the world. So it's proper to say that the Christ child was born to die. In the float that our, our people prepared for the parade, it said Jesus, the first one, Jesus, had a, had a manger scene. It said Jesus, born to die. Now you won't find in the Bible that phrase, born to die, but you surely find the idea there because God said he was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The very purpose of him coming was for, us, for him to die. That's not the purpose of us coming into this life. You won't say to your child, now, this child is born to die. No, that child is going to die probably, but that was thought why they were born to die. They're born to live and, and uh, accomplish some things for the Lord. But the Lord's death was the accomplishment. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, they were talking and said they talk, spoke of the death that he was going to accomplish at Jerusalem. Accomplish. He was born to die. Yes, in a stable where they, there might have been lambs, the Lamb of God lay in a manger. Why would a baby be born so he could only, just for the purpose of him dying? I mean, why would that be the main purpose for him to die? Well, the answer is hinted, really, in another first reference in the Bible. And that's the first reference in the Bible to the, to the word love. I, I pulled out an old paper I wrote back many, many years ago while I was doing graduate studies on Genesis chapter 22. And uh, I, I went in great depth on that paper uh, talking about this. And uh, I discovered that the first mention of the word love in the Bible is also in Genesis chapter 22. It says this in Genesis 22, verse 2. Take thou thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. So the first time God mentions love in the Bible is not love for a man and his wife. It's not love for a mother and her children. It's not brotherly love. It's not even love of a man for God. It's love of a father for a son, the father for the son. The first reference to, of a father's love for his, uh, uh, the first reference of love is a father's loving his son. The most complete concept of love then is that, because the Lord in that first mention hints of what's coming. And so we find that that's the first mention in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. In the New Testament, of course, the first five books of the Bible were the Gospels. And the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first reference to love in Matthew, Mark, and Luke was at the baptism of Jesus. When, the, when God the Father said, this is my beloved son, my loved son. But then John's Gospel, guess what the first mention of love in John's Gospel is? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So God's reference to love in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is God's the Father's love for the Son, but in John, it emphasizes God so loved the world so much that he gave his loved Son. He sacrificed his loved Son. So God the Father, who loves his Son, 
was willing to sacrifice his son Jesus so that we might be saved. What love. That should touch your heart. That should cause you to be thankful to the Lord. Well, let's go back to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22 talks about this. It talks about uh, Abraham and Isaac. And notice how you could say that uh, Abraham is a type of the Father, God the Father. Because Abraham loved his son. In fact, God says, take thy son Isaac, whom thou lovest. He loved his son. And so it's a picture of God the Father. And we read that account. Let's begin in verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thine own, thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac his son, they clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went into the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with, this, with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. He took the fire in his hand, a knife, and, went both, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in, the, in, in order. And Isaac bound his son and laid him on the altar. Uh, and, uh, and he bound, his, and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Now up to that point, Abraham is a type of God the Father. God the Father was willing to, to, to send his son to this earth to die. God the Father was willing to uh, take his son and have him sacrificed on the cross of Calvary. And that's true. God was willing to do that. But at verse 10, at, after verse 10, it changes. Isaac is no longer a type, or rather, uh, God the Abraham is no longer the type of God the Father. And Isaac, up to this point, was a type of Jesus. Because Jesus willingly came. The Father sent his son. And the Father said, Lo, in the volume book has written me. Uh, and he says, I come to do your will. I will do what you said to do. So Jesus willingly came. He willingly lived this life and became an adult, and he willingly went to the cross. He even told them ahead of time that he was going to die, he was going to be crucified, and he was willing to do that. Just like Isaac, Isaac was willing. And I imagine Isaac didn't know at first because he says, you remember, Father, uh, here's the wood and the fire, but where's the lamb? And the father said, God will provide a lamb. Abraham didn't know what was going to happen he just knew he was supposed to kill his son. And he said, God will provide a lamb. And you remember he told the, the people who, who were with the donkeys back before he went up the mount, he said, I and, my lad, and this lad will come back, back. He knew he was going to kill him, 
because God said to, but he said, we're going to come back. Now, I don't know what he had in mind, but maybe he thought that God was going to raise him from the dead. But anyway, uh, Isaac is a type of Jesus Christ, and Abraham, the fa- Abra- Abraham is the type of God the Father until we get to verse 11. And then verse 11, it says, And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Now, let me ask you something. Why would Isaac not be able to be sacrificed? Why did the type have to stop there? It's because Isaac is a sinner. Isaac's a sinner. And he can't picture Jesus dying on the cross for our sins because he's a sinner. He could picture the willingness to go, but not picture the death because he is a sinner and Jesus is not a sinner. And so at that time, uh, Isaac is not a picture of, of Jesus, but the type changes. Because you remember, Abraham looked and there was a ram caught in a thicket. And the Bible says that he took that ram and he killed that ram instead of Isaac. So the ram becomes now the picture of Jesus who was offered for us, sacrificed for us in our place. He was our substitute. He died for us. That ram died for us. And that becomes the type of Jesus in the death because he's the substitute. The ram was an animal. He didn't have sin. And so he was, even that sin, spotless, but he could represent Jesus, and so the ram represented the Lord Jesus Christ. But you remember Isaac said, or Abraham said, uh, I and the lad will come again. He figured the lad was going to come back with him. Now look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That shows how special his son was. Everything was wrapped up in the son. All the promises of God were through the son. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. So in and in a figure, uh, it was illustrating that he was raised from the dead. In fact, that he was supposed to die, somebody took his place, and then he, as a result, uh, was alive and, uh, in a sense, raised from the dead. And, I, and Abraham thought along, well, that must be what's going to happen. He must be going to raise him from the dead. In a figure, he was. And so that story represents the, the father giving the son, the son being willing to, to go, and then the, there's a, a substitute, the ram was, was there, and then the resurrection. He came down from that mount alive. He wasn't dead. And so Jesus is pictured in that. When Mary brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in, a swad, in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, as it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, she was laying the lamb of God in a manger. 
the Lamb of God was laying in a manger. The shepherds left their lambs in the fields and went to, into Bethlehem to that stable and saw the Lamb of God laying in a manger. So their lambs are left out there, but they come in and find the Lamb, the Lamb of God. Now, con continuing this study about the Lamb, let's go back to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 12. If you're familiar at all with Exodus, you know that that is the passage that speaks of the Passover lamb. Remember the children of Israel uh, were, were in, in Egypt and the plague, the last plague was the death of the firstborn. And the Lord says, if you will take your, the lamb and sacrifice that lamb and apply its blood to the side post of the door and over, over the top, then I will pass over you. So that's, we get the word Passover. And so they'll, he'll pass over them. And so they, their, their firstborn would not die if they had the blood applied. The Bible says that Jesus is our Passover. And let's look at Exodus chapter 12. And uh, we're going to look at some description of the lamb. Now I'm going to use what preachers use a lot of times, you know, alliteration. They use this, we use the same letter to start the different points. And so I have several descriptions of the lamb, the Lord Jesus. Let's notice them. First of all, he's the spotless lamb. Look at verse 5. It says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. The spotless lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. Jesus was the spotless lamb. The lamb of God who was going to die on the cross to take away our sins had no sin. He had no sin to pay for. He was God. And so, therefore, God the Father could place our sin on him and he could die for our sins, but he had no sin to pay for. So he was the right sacrifice. He was the spotless lamb. Also, he is the sanctified lamb. Notice verse 5 and says, take it from the sheep. Take it from the sheep. In other words, take that, one, that lamb out from the others, set it apart unto itself. And that surely pictures Jesus. There's nobody like him. He's set apart. Just like God's holy. When the whole word holy means set apart. He's set apart. There's nobody like him. He's the sanctified lamb. Also, he's the scrutinized lamb. Look at verse 6. Keep it up until the 14th day. Now, why would they do that? Why would they take this lamb that they thought was spotless and then keep it up for 14 days? I believe it was so they could observe. So they could observe if there are any imperfections. Well, Jesus was born in this, came to this earth. He became, God became a man, and he lived for 33 years on this earth. And they scrutinized him. What did they say at the last? I find no fault in this man. They couldn't find any fault in Jesus because he never sinned. In all those 33 years, Jesus never sinned. So he was the scrutinized lamb. They examined him and couldn't find anything wrong with him. But he then is the sacrifice lamb. It says in verse 6 of Exodus 12, verse 6, then kill it in the evening. Kill it in the evening. That innocent lamb, that little lamb that was so precious, after it's been watched for all those 14 days and there's no imperfection found in it, then kill that lamb. That's what happened to Jesus. 
On the cross of Calvary, the Lamb of God was slain for us. He was killed for us, and he shed his blood. Isaiah 53, verse 7 prophesies of, of him, and it says this, he was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. We go back to our text verse we started with today in 1 Peter 1, verse 18. We're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from, by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The precious blood of Christ sinless, no sin in him. And so he was sacrificed for us. He died in our place. But also he's the supernatural lamb. Let's look at, let's go to uh, John chapter 20 as we look at this. John chapter 20. You see, he's sacrificed. Now that sort of puts him like everybody else. He died. You know, most people die, don't they? You live long enough, you're going to die. Unless you're living, when the rapture takes place, you're going to die. But not Jesus. He died, but that wasn't the end. He rose from the grave. And so he died, but then he arose from the grave. Look at John chapter 20, uh, verse 20. It says, And when he had said so, he showed them into his hands and his side, then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. That's the resurrected Lord. Look at verse 27. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. He's the supernatural lamb because he's alive. He rose from the grave. And you can't present the gospel truly, completely, unless you include the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not enough to tell people, Jesus died for your sins. You must also tell them, and he rose from the grave. That's so important. He's the supernatural lamb. He rose from the grave. But then there's something else about him. He's also the standing lamb. Now, we said that uh, the book of Revelation mentioned 29 times the, name, the word lamb. Let's look at some of those. Let's go back to, to Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. In that verse, we're going to get several of these descriptions. It says, we're going to say that he is the standing lamb. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. A lamb. In heaven, there's a lamb. And that's Jesus Christ, who, was, who died for our sin. But there stood a lamb. There stood a lamb. That means he is, he's uh, one that has authority, and he's not, he's not conquered in mind. He's the standing lamb, and uh, he, there stood a lamb, and he's in heaven. And then also we find he's the slain lamb. That's past tense of chapter 5, verse 6. A lamb as it had been slain. You see, in heaven, the lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, has the evidence of his being slain. He still has the print and the nails in his hands and his feet and the place in his side, and we will know him when we see him by the, those. Of course, and that won't be the only thing. We'll know him in his glory. That's Jesus. But there will be that physical evidence, and he's the slain lamb. Authority that he has based on past death. He is slain, but he's risen again. He's also the strong lamb. Look at Revelation 5, verse 6 again. And it says, 
there stood a lamb as had been slain and had having seven horns. Horns in the Bible speaks of strength. Seven is the number of perfection. So he has seven horns. That means he's the strong lamb. You won't, when you stand before Jesus, you won't stand before the, for the meek Nazarene. We will stand before the eternal God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and he's the strong lamb, and he's having seven horns. And then he's the searching lamb. It says, and seven eyes. I mean, eyes are what you see with. And God sees everything about us, everything. That's encouraging, but it's also frightening to know that God knows everything about you. Revelation 1.14 says, His eyes were as a flame of fire. Reminds us of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, speaking of the, the judgment seat of Christ. And it says, Every man's work shall be revealed. Every man's work shall be revealed. So whatever you've done for Christ, or whatever you've done in your life, it's going to be revealed. God knows all about every detail. And it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. What fire is that? I believe that's those, those uh, eyes of fire of the Lord Jesus. He sees everything. He not only knows what you did, but he knows why you did it. You know, some people have uh, great acclaim because they've done great things. And it might be they truly did great things. Nothing wrong with that. But God knows whether they did or not. God knows whether they did it so they could be seen. God knows whether they did it so people would praise them. God knows all the motives involved in our life. God knows where you, whether you come to church because you love the Lord or because somebody would say something about it if you didn't come. God knows everything. God knows where we read our Bibles because we want to read our Bibles or just so we can get a certificate at the end of the year. God knows everything. God knows everything. And so he's, he is the searching lamb. He knows all. He's also the sovereign lamb. Look at Revelation 6, verse 16. He's the sovereign lamb. Revelation 6, 16. And said to the mountains and the rocks, this is people during the tribulation period, and they're afraid, but they won't repent. They won't turn to God. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. You see, don't take any comfort in the fact that Jesus is called a lamb. You know, a lamb's meek, and a lamb's uh, quiet, and a lamb's uh, humble. No, don't take comfort in that. God's describing some things about Jesus by the lamb, but that's why it takes so many names to describe Jesus because he is so wonderful and so great. And so one of the words is lamb. But here they, they, he said, they say, uh, let the rocks and mountains fall on us and hide us from the face of the lamb, from the, from the face of him and from the wrath of the lamb. For that great day of his wrath has come, who shall be able to stand? He's the sovereign one. He's over everything. And you should be afraid of the Lord Jesus, especially if you haven't trusted him as your personal Savior. Let's look at another picture of this sovereign lamb. Revelation 22 speaks of him, and it says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of there were, there were 
there uh, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and which yielded fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were uh, for the healing of the nations. And there shall no more cur- curse. And there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. Who is going to rule and reign forever and ever and ever? The Lamb. <laughs> He's the sovereign lamb. But all of that description about the lamb could be a little discouraging unless we knew this last thing, and that is he's the saving lamb. Aren't you glad of that? (laughs) He is the saving lamb. John 1 verse 29, we quoted a while ago, John the Baptist said, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I'm so glad God takes away our sins. I'm so glad he forgives us of our sins. 1 Peter 1, 18 again says, Redeem with the precious blood of Christ, verse 19, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Redeemed, purchased, released by the payment of a price, the ransom price, the blood of Jesus Christ. He, He released us from those sins and we are forgiven, we're saved. And so he's the saving lamb. Revelation 13, or Revelation 21, verse 27 says, The Lamb's Book of Life. So your name needs to be in the Lamb's Book of Life. How do you get your name in the Lamb's Book of Life? Well, trust Jesus as your Savior. Look to Jesus as your Savior. Believe that He was the Lamb who died in your place. He shed His blood for you. He paid the price for you and rose again from the grave and wants you to be saved. And if you'll just believe and trust Him, call on Him to save you, He will. And He will save you and your name will be in the Lamb's book of life. There's a song that says, it's in our hymnals, it says, is your name written there? That's a good question. Is your name written there? Is your name in the book of life? We can fool people but we can't fool God. Is your name written there? But lest we take comfort, as I said earlier, about Jesus being the lamb as just, you know, a humble, meek lamb, let's remember he has other titles. He's called the Lion of Judah. Now, you might not have any fear of a lamb, but a lion, that's Jesus as well. He's the Lion of Judah. Revelation 5, let's go back to Revelation 5. We were there earlier. And it says in verse 5, And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judas, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Who's that lion of the tribe of Judah? Well, the next verse says he's the lamb. So the lamb is also the lion. Revelation 19, let's look at a passage that talks about the lion in action. Revelation 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and his hand were many, on his head were many crowns, and he had the name written that no man knew but he himself and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven followed him with white horse, upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, 
that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath his, on his vesture and on his thighs a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the line of Judah. When he goes into action against his enemies, you don't want to be one of them. You want to be a friend of God. So make sure that you put your faith and trust in the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Several years ago, a man by the name of Marv Rosenthal wrote this poem, and I thought it fitting. Mary had the little lamb. Mary had the little lamb who lived before his birth, self-existent son of God, from heaven he came to earth. Mary had the little lamb, see him in yonder stall, virgin-born son of God, to save man from the fall. Mary had the little lamb, obedient son of God, everywhere the father led, his feet were sure to trod. Mary had the little lamb, crucified on the tree, the rejected son of God, he died to set men free. Mary had the little lamb, men placed him in the grave, thinking they were done with him, to death he was no slave. Mary had the little lamb, ascended now as he, all work on earth is ended, our advocate to be. Mary had the little lamb, mystery to behold. From the lamb of Calvary, a lion will unfold. When the day star comes again, of this be sh very sure, it won't be, a lamb -like, it won't be lamb like silence, but with a lion's roar. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for the Lamb of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we go into this Christmas season, help us to remember that the one lying in the manger was the Lamb of God, who was prepared for a particular purpose, and that was to die for our sins. Help us to understand, Lord, that we let someone else or something else take the center of attention away from the lion who is the lamb. Lord, I just pray we might understand that that's, that's not good because you mean so much to us. I thank you for the lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's a person here who's not saved, I pray that today they would look to the lamb. We ask in Jesus' name.